Welcome to the Debbie Debate. All right, boys, are we ready to debate? Bruni, are you ready to go head to head with me? I am. Gotta get my popcorn out here. Hold on, that works. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. I'm Felix Sharp. I know you didn't think that we would get through this episode without mentioning the name one Zach F. Wilson. It is first and goal. Ball spotted just inside the 10. Algier in. Wilson faked it to him and keeps it. Zach Wilson, the speed, and he dives for the end zone. Touchdown. That's Austin Nate. Gibbs, who is probably going to be the best pass catcher out of the three. Now. First down, he's going to get after it again. And look at the speed and the spark and the score from Gibbs. Just what Georgia Tech needed. That's Matt Bruning. G. Scott Jr. Obviously, I waxed poetic about him on the last episode, so I won't do that again here. And this time it's Fields up the carry. Watch out! Justin Fields! Hello, Columbus! 51 yards! Austin, you tweeted something, bro. You tweeted your running back ranking. Explain yourself. Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. Ohio State fan talking there. Oh, shit. That is why you come to the Debbie debate. Apologies to Kirk Herbstreit. We ran out of time. We'll get him rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Nace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and good luck. It's 3.30 a.m. tomorrow in Oslo. That means it's time for the Debbie debate. On a forward version of tonight's show, what senior bowl player stands the most to gain from this week's practices? We we revisit our 2021 breakout segment and a special eulogy for Matthew Stafford with parting shots. But we start with breaking news. Eric Gray just tonight announcing his commitment to OU Austin. What does this mean for Gray and Sooner Nation? So I think I'm a little more bullish on it than some people seem to be because I think people are just assuming that he goes right in there and he's their top back. Um, But I don't think we have any evidence that a Oklahoma wants to actually do that with a running back or B that he is so much better than every other running back there. Um, And I, I do like Eric Gray. Um, I just think like it's Kennedy Brooks that's there. It's Marcus major and it's Seth McGowan and people really like Seth McGowan. People sort of like Kennedy Brooks, people sort of like Marcus major. So um, I'm not sure how many care, you know, what his production is going to be next year. Does it probably help him from an NFL draft standpoint? Yes, because that offense tends to allow running backs to uh, it's a good system for them. They catch a lot of passes. No, Kennedy Brooks is back next year. Um, he announced he's coming back or they announced he's coming back. Um, so it's, it's, it might be good for his draft stock, but I think if you're in like a C2C or a Debbie, um, it like it, it hurts him a little bit in a C2C and in a Debbie, if his stats are down a little bit, it might hurt his value there. Even if maybe, um, he gets to showcase his ability a little bit more. I, I, I think I actually disagree with you, Austin, a little bit. Um, you know, he's, a, for lack of a better term, a dual threat running back at the position. And that offense, like you said, is going to be firing on all cylinders with Lincoln Riley. I don't think that OU loses next year until they get to the playoff. Their hardest games are going to be against Iowa State. And I think that they're a better team than Iowa State. And against Texas is going to be starting a, a, a first-time uh, starter at quarterback. That team is going to go undefeated. And I think 
Eric Gray is going to be a big part of that. He could push for 2,000 all-purpose yards between um, rushing, receiving, and if he's used in the return game there. That's what I see. Uh, so I think I expect big things. I think that he will kind of push Brooks and the rest of the running backs um, down on that depth chart. Bruning, how do you see this playing out for Eric Gray and the Sooners? Uh, I'm 100% with you, actually. I really thought Austin was going to go a different way with that. Really underselling Gray as you're trying to trade him back to me in, in the program there. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I think I don't think he would have chosen to go to Oklahoma if he didn't have some kind of assurance that he was either going to be the guy or at least get a fight for that guy or to be the guy. And I think he's much better than A. I mean, I like Seth McGowan, and I would still put Eric Gray above all those guys. I agree that I think he's got a little bit of uh, pass-catching ability, so I think in that offense he's going to be dynamic. I don't know if – I'm quite with you on they're not going to lose until they get to the playoffs because then I know Austin mentioned this in our text thread. I, I think Iowa State is going to be really good next year as well. And I don't know if that means they'll knock off Oklahoma, but I don't think it's just going to be as easy as Oklahoma is going to not lose until they get to the playoffs. But I think Eric Gray is a perfect fit in that offense with what Lincoln Riley likes to do. And, and I don't, I, I honestly think he's the best running back on that depth chart. So even if he does end up going in there and splitting time with those guys, I think it's going to be Eric Gray if he's that 60 to 70% guy. And then Kennedy Brooks and McGowan just kind of come in to, to clean up. Uh, Bruning, let me ask you this question. Um, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, kind of at the top of the 2022 class. Do you think that Eric Gray can make a push for one of those two spots uh, at all? Not for one. I don't, I, I mean, I, I've, I, Brees Hall is one teardrop for me. I like Isaiah Spiller, but I, I thought, my God, what's his name now? It just jumped out of my head. Acne, Acne, Devon, Achane. Devon, Achane. There we go. I don't know how to say his name. Uh, I thought he looked good last year. You've got Anaya Smith, who I know plays running back and wide receiver, came in there and looked good as well. I would not be surprised if those guys get a little bit more run and maybe take some away from Isaiah Spiller. I think Isaiah Spiller is better than Gray. Uh, but I, if anybody, if Gray could jump anybody, it would be Spiller for me. I have Gray as my three right now, and I don't know if he really jumps up much more than that. I don't think there's any way he can catch Hall unless Hall gets injured, and, and then they jump him just because he's out for the year. Austin, I'm assuming based on your earlier answer that you don't see Eric Gray jumping to the number one or number two spot in the next year's uh, running back class. No, I'm really high on Isaiah Spiller. Um, I don't think there's a teardrop between him and Brees Hall, to be honest. Um, just because like every question I had about him, I think I talked about this on a show before, every question I had about Isaiah Spiller coming into the year, he answered this year. thought he you know, lost his bad weight. He looked more efficient uh, with his footwork. Uh, he just looked like a, like a very well-rounded back. Um, I think the highest Gray could get is third for me, but I like, like I, I've said this a couple times now. I think Kyron Gray is what is or Kyron Williams is what we want Eric Gray to be. Like I, th I, I think he does everything that Eric Gray does, but I think he looks more dynamic with the ball in his hand. I think he looks like he has better burst, like a little bit better vision. I just think he's a better player overall. Um, but I, 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 Gray, it would be in his position to to try to pass him next year. All right. Um. I think I saw somewhere that students have to enter the transfer portal by uh, the beginning of March. So we're starting to see that activity slow down just a little bit. Is there anyone, uh, Matt, other than Eric Gray, any other protagonists who have recently made a switch that you see having success with their new school in 2021? 
Yeah, a guy that I've talked about um, on this podcast a few times, Grant Gannell. Uh, transferring to Memphis, I thought, was a great move for him with the way that they run that offensive scheme. Obviously, he didn't get to play a lot last year uh, with Arizona. Had a couple canceled games. I believe they only ended up playing like six games. Got blown out as well in that Arizona State game, so didn't get a lot of work in there. But I love his overall skill set. Uh, you know, I think he's got a cannon. He's very good, and I think moving into that Memphis team, Getting out from uh, Kevin Sumlin, I think, is going to be huge. I'll, I'm going to give a shout-out to Austin and Colin, who t- talked about it a little bit on their Campus to Camp podcast. Like, why he followed someone to begin with really kind of made no sense. And now that he's gone, uh, and him getting to go there with, with Norvell in Memphis, I think, is, is a great fit for what he can do. And I think he's really going to help boost his stats as well with the way that that offense seems to always put up numbers, especially last year with a guy like Brady White who I don't think is anywhere near the talent as Grant Gannell. Uh, I think he has a chance to kind of jump up right into that top tier, uh, tier two uh, in that class next year. For me, it's kind of Howell and Rattler right now at the top, and then I have a little bit of a teardrop, and then Daniels, Carson Strong, Gannell, Keaton Slavis, they're all right there in that group. And I think Gannell has a chance if he puts up a lot of really good numbers and looks good because he improved a little bit last year compared to what we saw his true freshman season. If he improves again this year and puts up stats, I honestly think he could jump up and be one of those top QBs drafted. Uh, if you're not, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not listening to Campus to Canton, you need to do that. Um, Austin and Colin do a really thorough job of going through these depth charts. And I kind of want to throw it back to you, Austin. Um, uh, Grant Gannell, is he, I know that you're high on what they're doing at Memphis overall, but are you high on Gannell? Do you see him becoming some sort of um, tier one quarterback prospect at, at all in his career? <laughs> Tier tier one, probably not. I just don't think he quite has the um, like he he just is not as talented of a player as like a Spencer Rattler or Sam Howell. I think you can watch them both and tell that pretty clearly. But at the same time, he's never had the talent around him that those guys have. And I think next year, um, it'll it'll be a little bit of a store brand version of kind of, kind of the talent that those guys have had. But I mean, I think ta- um, Calvin Austin is a legitimate receiver. Um, oh, what's his name? Is it Taj? It's Taj Washington, I think. Taj Washington. The, yeah, he. I really, really like him. He was a freshman last year, um, and then they always have like a stable of running backs there. I was really hoping Eric Gray would go there. I know we talked about that on the after show last week. I thought that would have really rounded out that offense so so well. I could have seen them causing some some people some problems next year, but um, yeah, I think um, because he's tall, he's like six six, but he's not like um, like he's not a statue like you saw with like Brock Osweiler or. Um, uh, funny enough, Paxton Lynch, who came from Memphis, like he he moves a little better than those guys. So I think that that's what would give him a shot to to do better than some of those guys have. I thought you were going to say Ryan Mallett, Mallett but no, that too. Yeah. I mean, he um, had ninety rushing yards in six games, man. He's not. I mean, he he's he can use his legs a little bit. He's got that. Yeah. Ball. He's taking two steps and he's ten yards down the field already. He's just got those long legs. So he is not Ryan Mallett. Um, the player that I am picking uh, to to have success in the next season is Mookie Cooper. Mookie Cooper buried on that depth chart at Ohio State with the wide receiver class that has been discussed ad nauseum on this show and on other shows. He's transferring to an open depth chart at Missouri. And Missouri always running that five-wide spread scheme, get the ball out quick, occasionally take shots. I really like um, – what they're doing with their redshirt freshman or redshirt sophomore quarterback next year in Connor Bazelak, who's been efficient in his time. And I think that Mookie Cooper is, uh, is, is going to play well 
there and be an option that can stretch the field for Missouri. Ran a sub four five um, uh, at verified high school time. It was compared to Curtis Samuel um, by twenty four seven Sports. I think that he's going to be a good case study to show. All right, what is more valuable? Is it more valuable to get early playing time? Um, to get on the field or is it more valuable to have a few successful seasons uh, at a tier one program like Ohio state Mookie Cooper decides to make the jump. So we're going to be tracking him and the re- what the rest of those Ohio state wide receivers do for the rest of their careers. Um, Austin, what about you? Is there someone other than gray that you see having success with their new school in 2021? <laughs> My best answer for this is actually somebody that we're going to talk about a little bit later on the show. So I, I held off on putting him here as well. Um, so I, I, Keontae Ingram is a guy that I think uh, is going to get some buzz here, transferring from Texas to USC. Um, Bijan kind of chased him out of there. I don't really like Keontae Ingram that much. I'm not going to lie. Like he looks like he should be really, really good. Uh, but there's just something missing when I watch him play, to be honest. I mean, he's always kind of like got some sort of nagging injury that is holding him back a little bit. And there's always somebody else in that offense that looks just as good as he does. So then you start to wonder, uh, is he better than everybody? You know, like, are the other backs really good? Is he just not as good as we think he is? Um, he's It's his final year going to USC. They don't have that much else there. They have Stephen Carr, Keenan Kristen, and... Um, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's like one of those Polynesians, like Vave Maliapaye or something. I don't know how to pronounce that. And then they have a like a four-star kid coming in this year as well. So it's it's a very wide open backfield. I think he's going to get the first shot to take it. And his running style, like they don't really seem like they look for a dynamic back in that backfield. They just want someone that's like kind of safe. And I, that's kind of how I would describe him, you know, six foot, 222. Like he has the build. It's just not... I'm never wild when I watch him. So, but I, but I think that's a, as good of a match as we could have hoped for for him when he announced he was going into the portal. I think the Debbie community was really wanting to see the upside of Keenan Christian. That dream is 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 dead now. Is he just not going to become a thing? Yeah, he's going to. I mean, I think he was always more focused on his track career, to be honest, anyway, or at least it seemed like it from what I had read about him. So, and it seems like he, he was really, really fast. So, and he did well his freshman year. So, I think that's going to be where, where he ends up focusing. Austin, I mentioned Mookie Cooper and his transferring. It leads me to this question, which I posted in the Debbie Debate Daily today. What is more attractive for a player to you? Is it the player who succeeded at an uh, early at a smaller power five school or say the player who may have been very good but for maybe one season or a season and a half at a blue blood school like a Clemson or Ohio State or Alabama which one of those two do you find more attractive more often than not well the sweet spot is both right <laughs> yeah, like if they, if they go to a you know, huge school and they break out early that's like what you really want but if I can't have that and I have to choose one of these other two scenarios I think I take the guy that's at the smaller school more often, to be honest, um, because I think, like, if you're truly that good, I think you do start to get play time at some of those other schools. You know what I mean? Like, I'd rather have, like, a Jameer Gibbs who went in this year and played a bunch than, like, a Kendall Milton at this point who, like, is stuck behind a bunch of players and 
um, he probably won't do anything until his third year in, on campus. Um, I think that's kind of like the the main one that that sticks in my mind right now. Um, just because I, I, you get a more complete body of work to see what they can do in college. You know, I don't want to watch just one year and then spend an early pick on a, on a kid that, that has done it for one year. I mean, obviously it works out like some of those Bama backs and some of those Georgia backs, they've done it. I just think there's more risk involved with that personally. Burning, what about you? Uh, I'd rather take the guy who produces at a big school because chances are he's playing better competition. I mean, he's going to have better team, better players around him. Like you just mentioned in Kendall Milton right there. If you go in with Georgia and they obviously have one of the better offensive lines, it's going to help him out there. But with the even if it's just one year of productivity, you still can watch the film, see what they're doing good, see what they're doing not. And what I disagree with what Austin said there is that Kendall Milton may come out, say he doesn't do anything until his junior year he's not going to be one of those top picks taking a Jamar Gibbs, a B. John Robinson, because they've done it for multiple years. And I, everybody's going to have that question on him. Is he really that good? It was just one year production, which means he's likely going to slide in rookie drafts. So I take him at a better value later on in the, in the, in the draft for wide receivers. I really don't think that matters as much. If you're producing at a lower level or, or if you're producing at a higher level, it all comes down to what you're doing on film, in my opinion. So if, if you're talking just because you mentioned the Ohio state guys in your Debbie debate daily, if some of those guys don't come out and produce till their junior year, but they show on tape that they're still really good wide receivers running great routes, they're making great catches, they're not having you know drops, anything like that, I still think that proves that they're going to be good at the next level compared to, say, a Mookie Cooper who may go to Missouri and put up a bunch of numbers but then not look as good on film as these other guys. I'll use Terry McLaurin as a prime example of that. He barely even produced at Ohio State to begin with. And then look what he did. Everybody was talking about, well, on film, he's a really good route runner. This and that goes into – senior bowl which is obviously going on right now mobile and all of a sudden all these coaches are raving well dude this kid is i mean he's a coach on the field he's a great leader he's a great route runner and the next thing you know he blows up and he's having a really great start to his nfl career so i don't think it matters really which way you go but i'll take the guy who produces out of big school because i take the context in of him not starting right off the bat because of the talent ahead of him now, if you're talking about well, Jameson Williams starting over G. Scott, then, you know, that's debatable. Jameson Williams is not G. Scott. J Jameson Williams is going to be a cornerback this year, just you watch. Uh, shockingly, Bruning, you and I are on the opposite side of this one uh, because I think I'm going to take the player that who who produced early at the smaller Power 5 school. Reason being is, is that player has proved that he's better than the other players on the depth chart, whereas the other player hasn't or at least hasn't until very late in his career. So we have the question answered on one side. We know that that player was better than the players around him. We don't have that answer on the other side, and I think I need that. I need the answer to that question to feel good about rostering them in C2Cs or or having them um, uh, drafting them in a, a dynasty rookie draft. So I am going to prefer the player who succeeded earlier, but at a smaller school. And we're talking about power five schools here. We're not talking about, you know, the, the championship sub or championship subdivision. Um, so power five schools here. We're going to put that on the poll. We'd like our listeners to answer that question. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have the player who who succeeded early at a smaller Power 5 school, or do you want the player who went to a Blue Blood school um, but had one or maybe a, a one and a half years of, of production at that school? All right. Let's head down to Mobile. As Matt alluded to, the Senior Bowl is going on right now. 
Um, we've gotten to see clips and everything else, uh, one-on-ones on Twitter. Um, Devonta Smith, Michael Carter, Kyle Trask, Jamie Newman. Devonta Smith's not letting you weigh him, but you know he's doing interviews and stuff there. Those are just a few of the big names down there in Mobile, Mobile. Uh, Matt, who has the best chance to improve their stock in this part of the NFL draft algorithm? Oh, he's muted. He pulled a oh. meeting. All right. My, my son was out here, and I didn't want you guys to hear it. So I'm going to go with a guy that I've talked about before, and we actually just discussed on the draft profile show. Austin broke him down in Khalil Herbert. He's already from everything – I, I'm not there personally, so I can only go based on what people who are there saying, but he's already having a really good start to his his uh, start this week at the Senior Bowl, both day one and today, day two. He's looked really good. And I think, again, we've talked about outside of those top three guys in Harris, Javante, and ETN, although I, I have obviously talked about on that show as well, Jamar Jefferson, who I really like, is up there. And a guy that Austin's about to mention is a guy that's rising up boards as well. I think Khalil Herbert, with a, a continuing having a good week this week, if he goes in and has a really good game, does really good at his pro day, is going to jump up because this is not a really solid class outside of those top guys. And uh, Herbert's a guy that I think is going to be really good at the NFL level, whether it's in a split committee, receiving back, as Austin mentioned on our draft profile show, he's really improved on this year. I think Herbert, if he continues the road he's going right now, is really going to shoot his stock up and, and may surprise people with the way he gets drafted this year in the NFL draft. Austin, uh, who who is uh, your player who has the most to gain at the Senior Bowl? I know you were so happy when I said that I was going to talk about Ramondre here, um, and this is like kind of a, a cop out answer, I guess, because he. By already the way, answered- I love I love hearing other people talk about the players that I love. So <laughs> yes, go ahead. He, he's already answered the big question, though, right? Like we wanted to see him lose weight. He lost a lot of weight. Like I thought he would be like two thirty eight or something yes. this week, you know, right. and then maybe he would try to lose a little bit more for his pro day or whatever, but he was what? 227? 227. Like that blows my mind. Well, it makes me think that he probably wasn't listed correctly on the Oklahoma website. I'm not sure why they'd make him that big, but um, that, that was the big question. But now, now let's see if he looks good in these drills at this lighter weight. And then in the game this week, cause I would assume, um, well, Najee's practicing, but I'm assuming he's not going to play. Because I, I know, know he said he already, he already said he was like practicing it like against the advice of his agents uh, or whatever. Yeah. So I, I really I'm assuming they're going to like chain him down and not let him play in the game. So um, I think if if Ramondre looks the part in the practices in the game this week, he can really solidify himself as that fourth guy behind Javante, Etienne, and um, Harris, or even sneak up past one of them. You never know what NFL teams prefer at times. You know, and I actually think that there is a possibility that I will sne- get him ahead of one of the top three running backs. It sucks that we are not going to get an NFL combine this year because he is one of two or three players that I wanted to see. Because if he was anything less than a four, five, five or something like that, his speed score would be bananas because he's so big. We're not going to get to see it. Um, maybe we get his pro day time. I. I, I, I do wonder, Austin, like you said, was he listed incorrectly at Oklahoma or did he actually lose 20 pounds? 
uh, we said in I said it in the draft profile show. He had to show a commitment to football by losing weight, and I thought that a commit to, commitment to, commitment to football meant ten pounds yeah. for him to come in at two thirty at two thirty eight from from two forty seven to two thirty eight. But to be two twenty seven to lose that much weight, um, he has ideals. That is my favorite running back in this class, and. Man, I, if there was a combine, I would say he's going to go on day two. He's going to go in the third, in the second or third round. But we'll see how he does at his pro day. The player that – oh, you know, before we end this segment, Austin, I have – you have been talking about Dwayne Eskridge forever and putting me to shame. I mean, that's the school from my hometown in Kalamazoo, and all I could talk about was Sky Moore. You had the goods on, on Dwayne Eskridge for a long time. Talk about him a little bit, what you've seen from him at the Senior Bowl. And, and I, I mean, Todd McShay said today that he could be a first-round draft pick. So talk about Dwayne Eskridge a little bit. Yeah, the first-round talk is, like, totally crazy to me. I think at that point you're just, like, totally, like you're way outside the scope of what I think really should be going on. But, yeah, I mean, I, I found Eskridge at the beginning of December because he was averaging 30 yards a catch after four games. <laughs> like, I didn't even think that was possible to do, to be honest like on decent volume, like it's not like it was like four catches through four games, like just absurd. And he still finished with like 23.7 yards, I think, or something per catch this year, which actually was less than last year. He averaged more yards per reception last year. Like this dude has been doing this for years there. And as other people have like pointed out now that the process has been going on, like he had an earlier breakout than people think uh, like a higher dominator overall. So he's not just this one year wonder. Um, Chris Moxley needs to get the heck out of here. I see that, that <laughs> slander being posted in the comments there, Mr. Moxley. I mean, like I said, I'm not saying he's, I don't think he should be a first round pick. Like I even thought top 50 was pretty absurd. I had him as like, I thought he could creep into late day three and I thought that'd be a really good spot for him, but speed kills in the NFL. And beyond that, like, I think he has pretty good hands. Like he has better hands than you would think of for like a stereotypical speedster. I think he's more than just a deep threat. He can do a lot of work underneath. And I said on my other show coming into this week that I thought he would tear it up because these drills are made for him. Like, no, ain't, ain't no one keeping up with this kid that's that's just this athlete. And it's proven to be the case so far through all these practices. So um, I think he's going to continue to have a good week. We'll see how he looks in the game um, and, and take it from there. Well, I've uh, I've definitely taken your advice. I was in the last C2C startup that I did was at the end of this season. I took Dwayne Eskridge in, at my last pick at 45. And for him to have any value at all on my NFL side is going to be a boon for me. So thank you. Thank you, Austin, for uh, that tip on Dwayne Eskridge. My player who's, who could really make uh, some money for himself is got to be Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is on that fringe of being a round one, round two quarterback. And we saw last year with Justin Herbert, I think his his stock skyrocketed last year at the Senior Bowl. Mac Jones could do the same thing this year and go from that fringe to being a top 15-ish uh, quarterback, especially for teams needing quarterbacks and needing to trade up. If we see four go off really fast in the, in the, in the, uh, the top end of the first round. So I think Mac Jones, especially getting out of um, – and getting out of – uh, Tuscaloosa and getting away from his all-star players and seeing what he looks like with some of these other wide receivers and some of this other talent. If he impresses, he could be moved up into, I mean, again, I think the top 15, top 10, if because we're going to see, we could see as many as 
five quarterbacks taken in the top 15 or so. So that is uh, that is my guy who I think could make a name for himself at the Senior Bowl. Austin, is there something that you wanted to add? Huh. No, I did. I want to add something really quick. Oh, Bruno. Oh, my bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. Okay. I just okay. want to say I, I agree with Austin, and and I'm kind of going to say the same thing. Moxley, you gotta gotta get out of here. He's just because he's broken out this year does not mean he hasn't been good. If you actually go look at what he's done the past couple of years, he's been a decent wide receiver. And you got to look at too. He's played defensive back. He's played cornerback every single year as well. He's been splitting time between cornerback and wide receiver. And for him to still look that good on the field, I'm not talking about what he's doing in Mobile right now. I talked about on Twitter. I went back and watched three games of him after Austin kept talking about him. And if you just watch what he does on the field, he is a really good wide receiver. The way he creates separation, the way he attacks defenders, and I think some of that comes from him playing that position. He understands how to attack those guys. And the one thing I love the most about it, if you go watch his film, is he – he runs at the same pace every single play, whether it's a pass play or running play. So those defensive backs have no idea what's going to happen. There's a couple times where they think he's going to go out for a route and then just level some dude. And he's not a big guy because they expect him to go out running for a route and he's blocking on a running play, which is freed up room for his running back or his quarterback because his quarterback ran it quite a lot as well in some of those games. So I just want to say, I don't think I agree with Austin first round is, is ridiculous, but I have him right around the same area as Austin right now. And I think, you probably won't be able to get him now in your rookie draft because with the way everybody's pumping him up, but he, I do think he has a chance to actually be a decent player at the NFL level. It seems like he went from being a potentially a UDFA day three guy to now his he's going to be drafted. It's just a matter of if it is it day two or is it uh, early day three. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say one time Kalamazoo stand up for Dwayne Eskridge. All right, let's go from the present to the future we're going to return to our 2021 breakout segment austin who is a collegiate player again who you are looking for to break out in in 2021 so yeah um i said earlier on the show this is a transfer port transfer portal guys a new spot this year Marion brown uh, transferred from Georgia Tech this year to South Carolina. He has never really seemed to get on the same page as Jeff Sims, who isn't a very good quarterback, at least throwing the ball at this point in time. So I get why Brown left because he has to do something here going into his junior year. Um, just a very dynamic athlete, 5'10", 170. Obviously, you want to see that weight go up a little bit. Uh, I certainly think he has a bit of frame to spare to do that. Um, his two years at Georgia Tech, uh, as a freshman, he put up 21 catches, 396 yards, seven touchdowns, which was a pretty nice market share uh, in that offense because, as we all know, Georgia Tech just really not known for passing the ball too much. They historically never really do that. At least they're not running the triple option anymore. It is 2021, so I'm glad they aren't stuck in 1940. But why I think he's going to to really stand out at South Carolina, they lose uh, Shai Smith, who was their leading receiver this past year, after Smith, who had 57 catches, 633 yards, four touchdowns, their second leading receiver was tight end Nick Muse, who had 34, 25, and one. And then their third leading receiver was running back Kevin Harris with 21, 159, and one. They have no returning receivers on the team that had more than 11 catches, 113 yards, or a single touchdown last year. And historically, the wide receiver one in that offense has done very, very well. In 2018, they had Debo Samuel who put up 62 for 882 and 11, then was a second-round NFL draft pick. 
The year after that, Brian Edwards in 2019 put up 71, 8, 16, and 6, and he was a third-round draft pick. And then with She uh, Smith or Shy Smith this week at, down at Mobile, he seems to be boosting his stock as well. So they need someone to step in and get that production. I don't see any reason why it can't be Brown. And the QB situation might not be ideal. Um, Helinski just transferred out, but they have Luke Doty, who's probably going to be their starter now. And he was a four-star kid in last year's class, a dual threat. Um, and so like they, they have a guy with pedigree there. So I think if anybody on that offense is going to catch some passes next year, it almost has to be Brown. You know, and I had that market share somewhere. Brown did break out as a freshman at at Georgia Tech, and he's on that you know two two Atwell spectrum, being a, a deep threat. I can't find I can't find the market share now, uh, but he just didn't co- didn't connect with Jeff Sims. And Jeff Sims actually after that first game against well, Florida State, I think after that he was not uh, a very very good and didn't connect with Marion Brown very well at all. My twenty one twenty one. 2021 player uh, who I expect to break out next season is someone who no one has talked about and there's really no reason to, but that's Chris Smith at the University of Louisiana Lafayette. All right, so um, ULL uh, features right now, well, their their three-man depth chart was Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis, and Chris Smith, that's this season. Two seasons or two, three seasons ago, it was Mitchell Smith and Raymond Calais, who was a draft pick of the Los Angeles Rams. ULL likes to run the ball. Chris Smith, uh, early in the season against Iowa State in that upset win against when ULL went to uh, went up to Iowa State, upset them. He had the long kickoff return. I started paying attention to him then and realized that even as the third back there, he had been very, very efficient, including averaging 10 yards a carry on, I believe, 30 carries or so as a redshirt freshman. There was a time where there were f- – three other backs in front of him, all with NFL potentials, and the coaches still wanted to see him get the ball. Now, he was a lightly recruited player, only got one other offered from Wofford, I believe, which is where the Carolina Panthers practice. Um, went to a Class one, class 1A Georgia, uh, Georgia school nani wea and in class the classes there in georgia are broken down by population and so class 1a is the lowest classification just for example um the mississippi school for the blind deaf and blind i believe is in the same classification as as nani as, as nani wea so we so beat up a, on a bunch of blind and deaf no, kids? <laughs> no no i'm not I'm, i don't know if they have a football program there i'm just saying that it's in the same classification but this was a this was a big fish in a small pond uh at his at his school in mississippi excuse me louisville mississippi is uh is where is where his uh his school was and um and he's just been very efficient in a reserve role. Those coaches have wanted to get him the ball, even though he has players in front of him that are going to play in the NFL in some capacity. Mitchell might be a third-round draft pick. Trey Regis is going to be on an NFL roster somewhere, and Raymond Calais is, is plays for the Rams. It was a seventh-round draft pick. ULL returns, I believe, seven of eight starters, and that is a team that is very balanced. They've averaged 3,000 yards rushing the last three seasons, and now you have 
Smith being absolutely the only one there in what's going to be his redshirt junior season. There is no one at all talking about Chris Smith, um, but he is going to break out next year. I would expect at least 1,500 yards rushing. Uh, Levi Lewis, who some people are hot or cold on, he's going to be returning under the rule that allows uh, seniors to transfer as a result of uh, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. So that is a team they were, they ended the season ranked. Uh, they p- played well this season there in the Sun Belt. Um, and Chris Smith is going to be the focus of that offense next year. If you have uh, claims or you're doing drafts where you can pick up players, he's somebody who's going to be, in my opinion, very valuable on the college side of a C2C. And because of his returnability and because of, I didn't talk about the type of player he is, he's a 200 pound speed back who has some ability to break tackles. You can, again, look up the Iowa State uh, kick return. And he had a couple of long touchdowns this season. I, I don't have them off the top of my head, but I do have. He had a couple of long touchdowns this year and over his career, including against Coastal Carolina. So, Chris Smith is a player that you will not hear anyone else talk about on any other podcast. If you find it, bring it to us. Uh, bring it to us, please. But he's someone that I'm paying attention to, and it's just a really good story. Just a really good story. Three sport athlete there at Naniwea, baseball, track and field, and football obviously one took his team to the state championship won two state championships in baseball so chris smith is someone that i am paying attention to to absolutely break out kind of out of nowhere but if you've been paying attention you see that he's been efficient and there the local newspapers there kind of have already noticed that he's a a potential breakout so chris smith pay attention to chris smith bruning who you got so to reply to you really quick, Austin, I, I had time. I just, I, I, you know, I had time. Figured I'd, I'd, I'd use it well. So I'm going to go Austin Jones, sophomore running back out of Stanford. Um, don't know if necessarily it's considered a breakout. I know some people are talking about him, but he hasn't really kind of broken out, in my opinion. So four-star recruit out of Oakland, California, obviously playing with Stanford. In the shortened season last year, uh, ended up with 550 yards, had nine touchdowns, 32 first downs, 10 explosive plays. He also had a dominator rating of 34.1% and a loss-no game percentage of 14%, which is really good. Again, I talked about this on our draft profile show on Monday, You know, meaning he gets positive yards on almost every run that he makes. is really good. He's a patient runner who lets the holes develop. He's got great bursts going through there. He's not a big guy, but he's got a very stocky frame. Uh, has quick feet and runs with power while also has enough speed to get outside. I uh, like his contact balance, and he's a good receiver as well. He's not a a no – I don't know what the word I'm looking for is now. Just jumped out of my head. But he's he's a threat in the receiving game. He's not a guy who's going to get you a zero there. Uh, he has soft hands, and I like how quick he gets upfield when he gets the ball. Uh, just I love everything about this guy. He's a very dangerous runner, strong lower body, rarely goes down on first contact, and does fight for every single yard. Again, we were just talking about this 2022 class earlier with Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, Kyron Williams, and Eric Gray. I do think Austin Jones can kind of jump up right into that group below him. I still like Raymond Davis a lot, uh, but I think Austin Jones is a guy who's not getting enough pub that could jump up there, especially if he has a really good season uh, for Stanford next year in the Pac-12. A quick follow-up question on this. I want to know if you guys have a, a, a potential breakout, not necessarily in 2021, but who could break out 
We talked about Kyle Trask came out of nowhere. Mac Jones was supposed to be a Kentucky commit, ends up going to Alabama. Wasn't even supposed to start um, when he did. It was, you know, everyone thought that uh, Tua Tunga Villalo would be the starter, gets injured. And then this season, people thought that Bryce Young would take the reins from him. But can you give me a, a college quarterback who no one is talking about now that will be mentioned as a top quarterback in one of the next two classes? And for me, that player is Connor Basilak out of Missouri. We talked about Mookie Cooper um, earlier in the show as a, as a transfer who could break out. Well, Connor Basilak has been – very efficient in that in that scheme at Missouri five wide. Get it out of his hands. He's been up and down, but he has been efficient. I should have pulled up his stats, but he's been north of sixty percent completion percentage. Um, seven touchdowns, I believe, six interceptions, and started. I want to say like eighty percent of the game. So six interceptions. Uh, he didn't turn the ball over. And quite frankly, his film reminds me of what I saw from uh, Carson Strong. Carson Strong, before he broke out this season. In in 2019, Carson Strong was an efficient game manager who made good decisions. And then this season, he became an aggressive player who kind of threw the ball all over the place. Connor Basilak... It's a good another case study for what would you rather have? Would you rather have the player who starts early at a lower tier power five school or someone who gets um, less playing time at a at, at a blue blood school? And so um, Connor Basilak is is the player that I'm thinking of when I think about this. He reminds me of Carson Strong. He's not the same player as as Zach Wilson, but Zach Wilson was someone who started early and then just improved um, as he went along. And so Connor Basilak is is kind of got the playing uh, the his first season under his belt, and I kind of just expect him to improve from here, especially as he gets weapons at 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 Mizzou for the Tigers. I keep trying to I'm trying to filibuster so I can bring up his stats, and I can't bring up his stats. All right. <laughs> And of course, they don't have they don't have the uh, his, what his his completion percentage was for the season on the page that I'm looking at. But he was north of of sixty sixty percent. I mean, sixty seven point three, sixty seven point three. And and I'm paying attention to both that and the fact that he didn't turn the ball over in the SEC in the SEC to say, all right, this guy has established a foundation to improve from here. And I think Austin, I think I've talked to you about Connor Basilak once or twice, and you're just not, you're just not, not impressed with with him. He's fine. Yeah, I mean, seven touchdowns, six interceptions. That's, that's how it starts. That's how yeah. it starts for a freshman. Is that? But they, but they have you have to have you know something that shows you that they could be on a positive career trajectory. And sixty-seven percent, six interceptions. That's good for a first-time starter. That's good for a redshirt freshman quarterback in the SEC. So I'm taking Connor Basilak. Austin, who you got? Um, so I have another guy that I guess kind of similar to that is that he went to like a power five school like we were talking about earlier and didn't really work out and he he went somewhere else. It's Phil Jerkovich who was at Notre Dame. Um, nothing really doing there. Got stuck behind Ian Book, left to Boston College. 
Um, and I think that he is probably my favorite guy in next year's class. Cause outside of like, like uh, there's like two top guys and then a lot of the other stuff, but we're all talking about a lot of other stuff. And Phil Jerkovich is a guy where I don't see him being talked about in that grouping where I think maybe he should be. Um, and jet like he, he is a very inconsistent player. He completed 61% of his passes this year, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions, but he has the NFL size at 6'5", 226. He definitely has that arm. He's a very strong arm. Um, and he is very mobile for that size, too. Like, he's, he's another guy that's taller, but he's not a statue. He can make some plays with his legs, do some things outside of structure. Um, and I think that he is very much a vertical passing game kind of guy, which I think Boston College will be next year with Zay Flowers there and uh, Jalen Gill as well. Um, he does lose Hunter Long, but I think they have some other guys there to to make up for that loss. Um, and so I would not be shocked if he has a nice year next year because the ACC isn't that strong of a league. He can go in there, put up some nice stats, and get talked about in that early day two, late day one kind of range. I actually thought that Boston College was going to beat um, Clemson this year, Clemson going to Boston College. Um, Zay Jones is one of my favorite players in in college football. He's going to go into his true junior season, and I actually think that he leaves for the NFL um, next next season in a weaker wide receiver class. So um, I, I really like that call, Austin. Bruning, who do you have as a quarterback specifically who you could see going from relative unknown to – known <laughs> you're, you're well smart. sorry yeah so i i, I guess may I, I did not read the relative unknown part of this question so now, it's not really oh, gonna make God. sense now uh he i don't he's known oh, but i don't think we say like before the show that you said oh you're gonna like rip the house down with your take he's still well i didn't the read the relative down. unknown part he he's known but i don't think anything anybody is expecting anything out of this kid uh Pennsylvania's 6-8 state championship school record passing yards with 2,883 yards as a sophomore. He committed to the Ohio State Buckeyes as a sophomore in high school. I'm going to go with Kyle McCord. And let me let me just explain to you guys really quick why. I, I fall in love easily. I do. A girl bats her eyes at me, and I'm all over it. I'm, I'm, I'm falling in love, love at first sight. I believe in all of it. I did a lot more looking into Kyle McCord here as of late. And it's really going to screw me too, because I've tried very hard this week to get him from Austin. And now I feel like I'm not going to be able to do that uh, because I am as high on him as I am. But I went back and I watched all of his elite 11 tape this past week, uh, him and the elite 11 stuff, his pro day where he completely outshined Michigan's own JJ McCarthy. I mean, my God, why did that guy even show up on the field that day? It's beyond me. Cause, cause McCord just embarrassed him, but six, three, two, 12, he's got a strong arm. He really shows great football IQ. In my opinion, he, he almost always knows where he's going with the ball. As soon as, as soon as the snap shows great leadership, quick release can change his arm angles, fits throw into tight windows in the short and intermediate area. I like his pace and his touch on passes. He can extend plays. I think he shows good pocket poise. No real escapability, however, and he needs to improve on his deep ball accuracy. He was named the Maxwell Club Pennsylvania Player of the Year. The reason I am picking him, and I do think that he will win the starting job, is because he fits what Ryan Day wants as a quarterback more 
than C.J. Stroud or Jack Miller. I was not sold on that beforehand. I've said that on here that I thought it was going to be C.J. Stroud. I wrote an article on C.J. Stroud saying that I thought he was going to be the starting quarterback if for the Ohio State Buckeyes in 2021. I'm leaning more toward Kyle McCord winning that job as he is not, from people I've talked to, as behind as I originally thought he was coming into this year because together, Jack Miller and Kyle and, and Stroud had <laughs> <laughs> because Stroud, Stroud and Stroud and Miller have only thrown or only taken a total of 15 snaps this year at the Ohio State quarterback position. I'm putting my money on Kyle Morning. Is there someone is there someone holding a gun to your head? Or I mean, what's going on? No, no, I'm not. Hey, Austin, you know what, Moxley? I worked really hard on that one, all right? Austin, over under eight and a half games started for Kyle McCord in his Ohio State career. So I, I like McCord a lot as well. He's my number three quarterback in the class. Um, I just think he's in the unenviable position of coming in behind two guys. And Stroud was the number three kid in the class last year who had been in the system for a year, which I think matters a lot in college. And at, especially at a school like Ohio State that has expectations every year. You know, you can't afford really at Ohio State to punt a year. You're expected to be good every single year. So he's behind Stroud and Miller. I think he ends up beating out Miller. But then Quinn Ewers comes in behind him, who is like this uber prospect. Um, and he is. I've watched him. He is very, very, very good. Uh, he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers, to be completely honest. Um, so... Uh, but I, I don't want to write the kid off, but the other thing is, and I will add some context to that. Like he was a PA state champ, but as someone from PA who like went to a football high school, like I, and I live in Pittsburgh now, which is like where a lot of the state champs come out of, I can comment a little bit on this. They were basically an all-star team, just beating the piss out of everybody else in the state. Like they, they were just like way too much of a match for everybody else. Um, so I can't, I like, I, I have a hard time necessarily looking at the competition that he played against and saying, you know, that he did what he did against like what Quinn Ewers is doing against, I guess I'm stalling. So I don't have to answer the question. I'm going to go, I'm going to go under eight and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I think I am too. I don't, I don't see for, I don't see him getting the job this year. I think it's going to go to CJ Stroud. And then I think when Quinn Ewers comes in, it's going to be Quinn Ewers position. So um, I don't see, I'm going to take the under also. Uh, so then my that. answer really my answer does work because both of you guys are discounting him he's going to come out of nowhere he's going to be a stud in 2023 well in the program i have him and stroud so that's a thing like i'm yeah i know i know i know and now i'm not gonna be able to get either one of them so Brees hall for mccord straight up who says no i think that we are good. ready to go to Am I good now? All right, cool. was, we're ready to go to parting shots yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's go to parting shots. Uh, Bruning, can you kick us off? Yeah, I can. So I was going to use this as a Debbie debate the other day, but I decided to wait uh, for this. I'm really curious. I, I hate to be all serious on this, and I know Austin and, and Felix will kind of lighten this up a little bit, so it's probably good that I'm going first. I, I'm really curious as to why there's so many people here in the fantasy space who are so quick to put each other down, discourage others from spreading their own voice. When it comes to tweets, how they go about their process, uh, if they want to start a podcast, everything, it, it's ridiculous because not any of us are perfect. None of us know what – None of us are sitting last I checked in an NFL office or front office or working with an NFL team giving our takes. So why you think your take is better than anybody else's is beyond me. 
I don't enjoy people posting all this negativity about all, everything that they do. No one in this space, as I said, is better than the other. And I, I just, I, if you want to start a podcast, that I don't care that there's so many out there. If that would have happened, none of us would be together right here. The three of us would not be sitting here talking college football because there's college football podcasts out there. And I think we have one of the best damn college football podcasts out there as it is right now. This Debbie, I wouldn't be the Debbie team leader of met the people I consider amazing friends now had I just kept my mouth shut because there was too many people doing fantasy football. Don't let anybody tell you who you think maybe has made it because they have a bunch of followers and they have a blue check mark next to them that they know what they're doing and they can tell you what to do. Because I promise you, no podcast is perfect and no one in this business is the perfect scouter, ranker, or fantasy persona. If you need help writing, creating a podcast, ranking, anything fantasy football related, reach out to Austin, Felix, or myself because I know all of us encourage and want to help grow this community your voice your opinion matters not just to everybody out there but to us because your creative process matters and it may strike a chord with an audience you may bring something that nobody else is doing that may be something we all need out there honestly it doesn't matter what it is i would be glad to help you guys so i apologize about going off on that as of anything you want to do seriously reach out to me i'd love to help anybody who is interested I meant to say that this was an oversaturated version of tonight's show. I forgot to say that up at, at the top at the top of the show. All right, Austin, well, let me turn the floor over to you for your parting shot. Yeah, so I, I titled mine for the for the night a tale of two teams. Um, there there are many of us that prefer college football over the NFL, especially in this space. And I think a lot of other people don't necessarily understand why anybody could possibly prefer something that is. Uh, supposedly a lower level of play uh, teams full of amateurs. And many of those guys will never ever sniff a professional football field. And I say to hell with those people, uh, not really, but here is actually my typical response. In, in many ways, college football is a spiritual experience for people, not in a religious sense, although attending a whiteout game at Beaver stadium or a night game in death Valley may have you second guess that. No, it's a time to join with others that have shared experiences and beliefs in the pursuit of happiness. But perhaps the best thing about college football is the emotional attachment that all of us feel with our favorite school. Whether you attended your academic institution of choice or not, we all experience the ups and downs that parallel those of our preferred teams. And like most other closed systems, the entropy of college football means that for some fan bases to be happy, others must be less so. This offseason has been the perfect example of those differing fortunes of some of college football's most tortured fan bases. Texas fans are finally excited again with the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, along with several high-profile assistants that he was able to lure away from Alabama. The Longhorns have a cornerstone player on offense in Bijan Robinson and some exciting talent that fills out the rest of that roster. There are also rumors that Kamar Wheaton, one of the crown jewels of the historic 2021 Bama recruiting class, may be joining Robinson in that backfield. So yes, it appears Texas may in fact finally be back. On the flip side, another UT, Tennessee, a program whose fans still view their team as if it were a national power with the cash to bring in top recruits from all across the country, is slowly faltering. Well, those fans were half correct as the volunteers did have cash, but a different kind, the kind that is stowed in McDonald's bags and handed to recruits to get them on campus. Tennessee is dealing with the harsh fallout of these mishaps, dismissing their head coach along with his top assistants. Their top players have all followed suit, leaving behind a corpse of a team that will have to try to figure out how to compete in the SEC. And as a lifelong Pitt fan, I am doomed to remain somewhere between those extremes for eternity. Instead, I choose to live vicariously through my Devi and C2C teams. And while not a religious experience, it is certainly more than enough for me.
Ah, where's mine? He came in with a whimper and went out with, well, a whimper. After being the Lions' number one draft pick in 2009, Matthew Stafford would miss the majority of the first game of the games in his first two seasons, finishing each on the IR. Lions fans thought his career trajectory would mirror that of Charles Rogers, whose early career was also cut short by injury. Fans believed that their luck hadn't changed, and they were right for the most part as applied to the team and the franchise as a whole. But Stafford provided 12 years of hope for the city of Detroit, 12 years of rockets to opposite sidelines, jump balls and bombs to Calvin Johnson, and so many almost, but not quite, quites. He deserved better from the organization that forced Barry Sanders and Johnson into retirement early. But now, deservedly, he's on to greener pastures. Make no mistake, Matthew Stafford will undoubtedly elevate whatever organization he finds himself in next season. He did so in Detroit, but the starting point was so embarrassingly ah, let me start. He did so in Detroit, but the starting point was so embarrassingly low that even when he elevated the organization, it remained stuck in the mud. That is going to be our show for tonight. You can find our written content at Dynasty Nerds, where Mr. Bruning is posting draft profiles of rookies every day. Check out Austin on the Roto Lounge podcast. It's the most recent episode. You can email the show at DavidDebate at gmail.com. Follow the show on Twitter. Our apologies to Kirk Curbstreet. We ran out of time. We'll get them rescheduled soon. And for Matt Bruning and Austin Ace, I'm Felix Sharp. Good night and I ordered my hot sauce an hour ago. Side of the field, intercepted by Eli Apple at the 25. And Apple will go to the ground at the 32, and that's it. Ohio State National Champions for the eighth time as they defeat Oregon 42 to 20. Here's Tua, stepping back, loads up, looks long, throws, end zone, touchdown! Touchdown, Alabama! Devontae Smith, touchdown, Alabama! And the Crimson Tide has once again ascended to the top of the college football mountain. Their fifth national championship in nine years, their 17th overall. Watson takes a snap, rolls right, looks in the end zone. Hunter up, caught it! Touchdown! 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 With a second left, Watson hits Renfro, and Clemson grabs a 34-31 lead and is one second away from the second national championship in school history. Hill. Just in front of his end zone, has a man out there, it is Ranger, and he's off to the races, nobody will catch him! <laughs> 93 yards for the freshman! He made the adjustments in the second quarter. Dobbins again, more than 10 yards per carry, he'll add to that! Goodbye, touchdown Ohio State. From 52 yards.